And MLM Rebel is a new breed of network marketer, smarter, truly independent, and free. MLM Rebels wage war against the soul-sucking corporate world and against networkers who would rather preserve doctrine than helping people get results. MLM Rebels recognize when the world changes and changes with it. MLM Rebels don't believe in duplicating things that no longer work and would rather work without a safety net than within the confines of one. MLM Rebels are only involved in opportunities that give everyone an equal playing field instead of a top-heavy one. We don't care about the sacred cows of MLM. We don't care about the industry. and We do not care about the way it's always been done. We care about people following their gut. We care about people being able to quit their jobs now. We care about people being with their family instead of their boss every day. We care about people being with their family instead of their team all day. We care about people living free. We believe a truly free networker has multiple streams of income. We believe a truly free networker's creativity isn't shackled by their company's contract. We believe a truly free network marketer actually knows how to market and that they run their business like a real business. MLM Rebels prioritize faith, family, business, sacrifice sacred cows, build their own empires, never rebel against each other, and change the world. MLM Rebels know they are not confined by doctrine, not stifled by the past, and know they are one business away. My name is Zach Spear, and welcome to MLM Rebels. Hey, what's going on, everyone? I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm really excited to share um, this message with you here today. So I'm going to actually play a... Um, a recording of a team call that we did uh, a couple weeks ago. And it was in early February. And after we did this call, we received more unsolicited feedback, like positive feedback, um, than pretty much any other piece of individual content that we've ever released. Um, I had people reaching out to us, um, telling us that they were crying. Um, people were like saying, thank you so much, uh, just all kinds of stuff. And so uh, we don't actually record or release the recordings for the team calls that we do because we want to encourage people to show up live. But um, <clears throat> I did want to pull this one and share it with you because uh, it just keeps coming up over and over again. And so I want to share it with you. It's a little long, um, but I think you're going to get a ton of value out of it. Um, you know, we, I think, um, I think, yeah, I think you are. So, um, anyway, uh, if you want to strap in and listen to this, I think it'd be definitely worth your time. So with that, I'm going to shut my mouth. And if you found value in this, do me a favor, scroll to the bottom of this podcast, um, when you're done and it'll just end at the, at the end, but scroll to the bottom and uh, leave a review. I pretty much know you're going to leave a five-star review and a rating after this episode. So without further ado, let's cue it up. And here you go. The topic I'm going to talk to you about right now is how to win. Now it sounds super, super basic, right? Like how to win. You just, just win, just beat the other team. Just make it happen, captain. So there's a few different sides to this and they're all very, very simple. So just know this, that we're not geniuses. I'm not a genius. Ashley's not a genius. Um, and if you think that we are, and that's the only reason that we've made some progress that maybe you're still looking to make, you're hurting your own self. And I would be doing you a disservice to make you think that it's something special inside of us and tell you what it really is. I'm going to tell you what that is right now. So first, I just want to give a quick little plug to if for those of you that have seen it, who's seen Eric Fredrickson's um, Facebook post in the group that he made, I think yesterday or last night or something. It's the one with the 10, the 10 points on it, talking about Tom, 
my friend Tom, of course. So first of all, Eric, thank you so much for posting that. That was epic. Really appreciate that, man. Really, really want to honor your contribution to the team in that way. And for those of you that haven't read it, go read that post. Um, you can kind of read that post and it pretty much talks about uh, everything that someone would need to do. So in order to win, I think we all get this, but sometimes getting it and doing it are two different things. So can we all just agree that we have to work in the business in order to get results in the business? Can we all agree to that? Can we all agree that we have to work hard? Isn't it funny that whenever you talk to a prospect, anybody ever talk to a prospect? I'm gonna look at all of you for a sec. Anybody ever talk to a prospect and they say something like, I don't wanna be a part of some get rich quick thing. Anybody ever heard that from a pro? I don't wanna be a part of a get rich quick thing. Oh, I, I wanna I want do something that's legit. I'm more of the slow and steady type, something that's going to really, you know, stabilize over time. I'm not looking for a flash in the pan, a sparkler. I want something that's slow and steady and that I can really put my effort into. Anybody hear anything like this before? Of course you have. We all have heard it. But isn't it funny that that person gets in and sometimes that person, that person gets into the business and it's six months and that person's pissed that they haven't made a hundred grand yet two years in and they're angry that they don't have a six figure income. Wait, hold on. Let me just pause. I'm pretty sure you said six months ago that you don't want to be a part of a get rich quick thing. You just, you literally told me that, but you, are you saying that you do now? Well, I hope this isn't a pyramid scam. I think you're basically saying you wished it was a pyramid scam. Like really, literally, literally right now by, by complaining because you haven't done anything. One of the travesties of the kind of like business opportunity world, network marketing included, is that there has been a huge amount of people, past and present, that make others think that you don't actually have to freaking work to get a result. And if you ever promised anything like that, we all know that it's horse crap, right? Now, here's the interesting thing. You're going to work hard no matter what you do in life, period, case closed. You're going to work hard whether you're working construction, whether you are fixing cars, which is what I was going to be doing as a mechanic. That's where I went to trade school for. That's what I say. I went to fake school. I went to trade school for car mechanic stuff. I'd be working hard as a mechanic. We work hard today, but here's what we utilize today that mechanics don't. We utilize something called leverage. Okay, It's simply changing the brain through personal growth. Oh, is that why he said that? We change the brain and change the way we think about something and put the same amount of effort into something with leverage. And if you're really smart, you use leverage and you combine it with residual income. And in the beginning, you're going to be doing things that generate active income to feed yourself. You're going to generate active income while you work on your leverage and while you work on your residual. And eventually, if you keep working, the leverage and the residual will outpace the active and you can stop doing the active income. We've had this exact flip in our life. And let me tell you, it takes, it takes a while to make the flip. But when you make the flip, it's pretty nice when the flip happens. Because in the beginning, here's what I'm going to tell you all right now. You're going to do more work than you're paid for for a while. 
It could be a month. It's not going to be a month. It could be six months. It could be 12 months. It could be 24 months. It could be three years. You're going to do more work than you're paid for. And if you have the mindset, the union mindset of I'm working for three hours, I should get paid $90. If you bring that mindset here, you bring that employee mindset here, you're going to screw yourself. You can't look for an immediate return when you're building something that's leveraged or passive. So in the beginning, you're doing more work than what you're paid for. But if you keep doing it for long enough and you keep honing your skills, eventually your skills will get to the point that you're good enough to get results. And eventually these points will meet and converge and you will get paid for as much work as you do. And eventually, if you keep doing it and you change the things that you focus on, we'll talk about that later. If you change the things you focus on, you can actually decrease your work and increase your income. Whew. So now you get paid you get paid for things that you don't do. Who wants to do that? Who wants to get paid for things that they don't do? Heck yeah. But how many people know that you have to do things that you don't get paid for to get there? There's a story of John Maxwell coming up. He's speaking on stage. He's teaching tens of thousands of people leadership at a conference. And he's, you know, 50, 60 years old, giving the speech. Kid comes up and says, man, John Maxwell, thank you so much for teaching me. Man, I'm so grateful. Man, you're inspiring so many people. I want to do what you do. And John turns to him. He says, that's great, man. But are you willing to do what I've done? See, the guy wanted the result of what John had, which was 30 years plus of working and not getting paid for a lot of it. And now John was billing 50 to 60 grand an hour for a speech. So the guy wanted his result, but he wasn't willing to put in, or maybe he wasn't willing to put in what John did. And that's what a lot of people do in this industry or in the online marketing industry. And sometimes it's the marketer themselves or the leader that paints a bad picture of what it takes to get there. Don't get me wrong. You have to develop a skill set and the world will not yield its result to you until the skill is developed to a point where it actually yields it. Just as with the mechanic example, I couldn't be, get a job as a mechanic, a full-blown master tech. I could not be a master tech if I didn't know how to do the thing. If they said, rip apart the engine and put it back together. And I said, ha ha, yes, of course, of course, yes. Let me do that. They're not going to pay me. Why? Because my skills have not got to the point where I can yield a result. The same thing happens here. We can't get into something and be angry at the business, at the model, at the process, if we don't have the skill. I can't get pissed at the engine. Stupid engine. Ah, it's not the engine's fault. It's my fault. We have to work hard. This is how to win. Talent helps. Yeah. But talent without work is what? Dead. Yes. I'm sure you've heard of, um, of Kobe Bryant, right? Epic basketball player. We all know who he was. Well, there's a story of him when he's playing basketball in the 2012, in 2012 for the men's U.S. Olympic team that he would run. He's training now. He would run sprints, do an hour and 15-minute conditioning workout, then do a 45-minute lifting routine, and then complete 800 shots, complete 800 shots, meaning make them. Oh, yeah. And that was all before the 11 a.m. practice. 
Did that dude work hard? Was he talented? Of course he was talented. If there's anyone that didn't have to work hard, it was probably him. But the dude had a freaking work ethic. Now, I'm not saying work your fingers to the bone. I'm not saying not take care of your family. I'm not saying miss out on Sunday dinner. I'm not saying skip church. I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. It doesn't say work your fingers to the bone and get rich. It says think and grow rich. So I'm not saying any of that, but I am saying you have to work. By the way, in case you think that like, oh, that's cool for Ashley. That's cool for Andy. That's cool for Zach. They're naturals. They have talent. I think we just beat that one to death. But I can guarantee you it has a lot less to do with talent than it does with, with work ethic. I love the quote in the book of the month. Wait, did you, you wait, someone's reading the book? Of the month? In the book, it says DNA has nothing to do with success. Turn your jeans into overalls and get to work. By the way, just in case you're more of a cerebral, like I kind of am, I have a friend named Perry Marshall, who is a, a straight, well, I should say I, Ashley and I, Ashley's basically the reason we're friends. Um, Perry is a straight G unit. He has the best selling book on internet advertising of all time. He also wrote a book called Evolution 2.0, which talks about genes and DNA and things like that. Okay. Interesting book. I'm not, I'm not necessarily recommending the entire thing. There's thing. There's interesting stuff in there. But one of the things that is in there that is very interesting is that it's been proven that your DNA can actually change over time. So based on what you do to it. So if you become a smoker or quit smoking, one of the, and you keep that changed, your body will adapt to the point where your DNA will actually override itself and it will form new DNA. It will give you new genes. So whatever, if you think that DNA has something to do with success, it doesn't. You can create new neural pathways in your brain. That's what happens when someone gets depressed or happy, when they go on like a depression slope or a happiness slope, and it's easier to get happier or it's easier to get depressed. Or the reason that you can do the same thing after 20, the reason like after 15 years, I'm getting back into my high school sport, which is skate, skateboarding. The reason I can get back in that after 15 years, and obviously I'm a lot worse than I was, but the reason that my body still knows what to do is because I have neural pathways dug into the brain so hard that it's there again. You can dig those neural pathways the way that you want them, not the way that they've been put into you. <clears throat> All right. So work hard. Talent has nothing to do with it. Cool. Let's go into the next thing. Some of you are doing what this guy right here did. Ashley did it to an extent too, but I can let her tell her story. I'm going to tell my story here. Ashley was there for all of this. So you all know that I went through six, seven years of basically failing in this industry before any sort of breakthrough. Ashley 
Um, we started dating around, I think you're like, I don't know, five or six. And then we basically kind of floundered a little bit together, but we floundered better uh, because Ashley's legit for a couple of years. So for there's basically six years in there that there was no Ashley, it was just Zach. And failing in this industry really hurt, like bad. It's easy to have something not hurt when you don't actually try that hard, but it hurt a lot. Like to the point where if I tell this story too deeply, like I'll probably start crying now. And the reason that it hurt so bad was that I gave it everything I had. Like I really did. I don't just write that places. I don't just say that on webinars. Like I really gave it everything I had. I got into 20 years old. Upline tells me to make a list. I call them all. He tells me to go cold contact people. So every night after work, this is not a joke. Work from seven in the morning. So three or four o'clock in the afternoon, I go sleep in the car for 30 minutes. I'll get up. I drive around to gas stations for three to four hours. And I would meet five to 15 strangers a night at gas stations in the freezing cold in Chicago. If tonight it's nine degrees in Chicago, I would be out tonight. Doesn't matter. Seven days a week, rain or shine, freezing nuts. Doesn't matter. I'm out there meeting people, trying to get prospects and put them in the business. Of course, after about seven or eight o'clock at night, I would go to Starbucks and we'd meet with people in the downline or prospects and show them the plan, try to get them in the business. On the nights on the nice of the hotel meeting, we'd go to the hotel meeting, either we'd sit and listen or we'd be up and speak. And we'd say the hotel meeting till 11 or 12 at midnight, maybe one o'clock. If, if we were home, if me and Ashley got home at 12 or earlier, that was an early night. On non-hotel meeting nights, after we were done showing the plan to people till 10 p.m., we would meet with our team afterwards at the late night Starbucks or at our house or their house. And we do brain surgery on them to teach them how to succeed like our geniuses selves were. And we'd stay out till one, two, three in the morning. And before I met Ashley, my bedtime was 1 a.m. I tried to get to bed by 1 a.m. And if I slept till seven, I considered that a full night's sleep. That happened twice a week. Every other time was till like 3 a.m., 3.30 a.m., 4, 4 o'clock a.m., up at seven, out to work, repeat the process seven days a week. Of course, I had a day or two off from the job. So I was kind of catching up on sleep a little bit there. And after six years of this, we finally looked down. And at this point, Ashley had come into my life, thank God. And I looked down and I was like, what have I done? Like, what have I actually accomplished with my life? I go home, I'd go to my parents' house and my mom and my dad would ask me, hey, how's your business going? And it doesn't matter what I would say, but they, they, I could be like, oh man, it's, you know, it's going good. You know, this and this and this is happening. You know, this, it seems like I'm going to have this many people on the team in a little bit. And, um, you know, and uh, they'd be like, that's great. That's great. And they'd always, they'd always encourage me. But I knew that there was like this splinter back there where they were like probably a little worried. And after six years of this, I actually comes into my life and now it's the two of us. And I broke down. I'm like, what the hell? heck, whatever. A lot of expletives. What's going on? Like, I feel like I'm fairly decent at things that I do. I feel like I'm not, I'm not a weirdo. I'm not some, I'm not the weirdo at the gas station. Hey, what's up? You want to do Amway? Like I wasn't like a psychopath. Like I'm a fairly normal guy. 
I was pretty good at like all the jobs that I had. I was, I joke sometimes, but I had sales jobs and did pretty good at those jobs. The sports that I played was pretty good at those. Kind of was always told I was a natural born leader, but yet I can't crack this freaking thing. Broke down and started crying. Ashley had her arm around me and we prayed. And then everything got better. I'm just kidding. But a journey started. Fast forward quite a few years, Rebels is born. Rebels starts off, has pretty good success fairly early on, but it hits a wall. It hits a pretty heavy wall that, we, that Ashley and I have a hard time breaking through. Ashley had done a lot of personal growth in, her, in herself before we got married. And I'm really like super grateful for that. I did a lot of personal growth too, but it was different. Hers was deeper. And we got to a point where there was a bottle, we could feel like a bottleneck was over us. And we did two things to uncork the bottleneck. The first one was we both realized that we weren't totally sold on network marketing. And when we really dug into it, the reasons were twofold. The first one was that we weren't sure if we wanted to deal with all of the freaking crap that dealing with people brings. Let's just be honest. This is a people business and people bring garbage. We weren't sure if we wanted to deal with it anymore. We had spent at that point, me eight years, Ashley three or whatever, dealing with people. And we weren't sure if we want to do it. And secondly, as we had started to get a taste of what it was like to be successful in an industry that was more accepted than network marketing from a social perspective. The reason that we became friends with Perry was because we introduced ourselves as agency owners, not as network marketers. And we saw that and we're like, man, what would our professional life be if we didn't have to talk about network marketing? And the prestige factor was a thing for us. We spent multiple weeks in prayer thinking, what do we want in life? What do we really want? What kind of income do we want? What kind of overhead do we want? What kind of risk do we want? What kind of impact do we want? And ultimately we came to the conclusion that, you know what? We might take a short-term prestige hit, yes. But there's enough network marketers, Jim Rohn, there's enough network marketers that started in network marketing that became icons in the personal development space that made an impact that was extremely good and beyond just the industry. But even so, we looked at people. At that time, we looked at Steve, our friend Steve, Upline Steve. We looked at his income. We're like, you know what? That man has no overhead. None. That man has a nearly seven-figure passive income at that time that couldn't be blown out with a nuclear warhead. So he's got no overhead. He works zero hours a week. And he has a nearly seven-figure income. And if he wanted to, he would have enough influence over probably 100,000 people to serve them in the capacity that he would want to serve them. So will we sacrifice a short-term prestige hit for that? Yes. Will we learn how to deal with people? Will we go to the next level in our people skills and leadership in order to not want to shoot ourselves sometimes when dealing with people? Yes. The network marketing is the way to go. That was number one. So if you're not sure about network marketing, I'm telling you, get sure of it. And you don't have to do some like three-week nature walk 
Just look at the other industries. We're in masterminds right this very second with people making seven and eight figures in other industries, Amazon sales, online course sales, real estate. I can guarantee you, I promise you that no one has even remotely close to the stability or the lifestyle of a seven or eight figure network marketer. No one, not a single one of them. This is the very best thing you could possibly build. The second thing was the bottleneck that I had to get rid of myself. And I told you that story of failure because the thing that was my bottleneck was I had to forgive myself. I had to forgive myself because I was beating myself up. Man, you're so stupid. How could you not see that for six years, you idiot? You couldn't, you couldn't think? You couldn't think long enough to see that what you were doing was idiotic? Everyone around you saw it. You couldn't see it? You believed that stuff? This is, these are the things I'm telling myself. After I like, saw the light. You were that dumb for six years. You let the wool get pulled over you like that for six years. Now just beating myself up. Things I would never say to you, to anyone. I was saying them to me. And I got so convicted one day. I was sitting at church. Guy was speaking, pastor was speaking. And he's talking about forgiving yourself. And it hit me like a freaking like train. It was like, Zach, you got to let this go. It was June 25th. I went up on a mountain in Carlsbad. And I spent three hours up there. And every single splinter I could think of. The way I treated women long before Ashley. The things, the stupid stuff I'd done. The six years of failure, the names I called myself, all of those things. I wrote them all down. I prayed over every single person on that list, every single year, every single upline said, I forgive you and I love you. And I turned to me and I said, I forgive you. I love you, Zach. I took that list and I set it on fire. And I wrote a note to myself as if it was being written from God. You can do what you want. And it said, Zach, I'm proud of you. You are worthy. And this might be heavy for you if you're brand new. That's fine. Maybe you'll stick. But either way, I finally let that stuff go. Here's what happened next. I started to actually believe that we could make the money that we thought. Because up to that point, up to that point, we had it in our own business made more than, I don't, I don't know the exact number, but like 10 or 12,000 in a month. We had not made more than that. Something like that. I don't know. There was something stuck there. 
But you know what happened? Something, cor something the, the cork came off. And it was like, holy crap, I could see it. We could see it. It's like, I can see it and I can get, like, I can get this. And we made a goal. Then next month, this is July, $16,000. We wrote it on a whiteboard. We made a bar graph and we started. Now, this was an intelligent plan, by the way. There was some random number I picked out of my butt. We knew what the ad spend was. We knew the conversion rates. We knew what we'd have to do. Okay, we knew, we knew the stuff. It was 16 grand, put on the whiteboard. We started to color it in over the month. And you know what? We hit it. We hit that $16,000 month. The next month, 16,000 again. Next month, so if I can do, if we can do 16, can we do 20? 20, 20, colored it in. Can we do 24? We colored it in. Can we do 30? We colored it in. Can we do 30 again? We colored, can we do 40? We colored it again. And it kept going and it kept going and it kept going. We started to, we started to actually believe that we can hit those numbers. So the second thing, is forgive yourself for your past and visualize your success daily. It sounds hokey, but forgive yourself for your past and visualize it daily. Think about it in your mind's eye. If you look at every single good sports athlete, Eric literally wrote about it with Tom Brady. He visualizes the win holding the trophy before he even goes. This man has won more Super Bowls than any other NFL franchise in history. And he visualizes success. It's not some hokey pokey bull crap. This is legit. Last thing. Heard a story <clears throat> of a friend of ours named Jurgen. I know it's a weird name, but if I don't tell you his name, I'm going to keep saying weird stuff. His name is Jurgen. Okay. So Jurgen, Australian. Jurgen is pastor over a congregation here in Southern California, 6,000 people in the congregation. The reason I tell you that is because he has leadership. So Jurgen is for the weekend going up to Napa, which is a few hours north, going up to Napa. Everyone knows Napa Valley, right? All the vineyards and the wines and stuff like that. And they're going to do uh, a wine tasting. And if you're anything like me, like, I mean, I'll, we like wine now, but for like the vast majority of our, my life, I mean, Ashley's more sophisticated, but it's like, we go to a wine tasting. It's like, how long is this wine tasting going to be? Uh, you know, uh, an entire day, a day. What are you talking? Like I can do this in an hour, right? Like this is red. This is a red wine. This is. Mmm. Yeah. It's red. Taste red. Oh, this is a white wine. Oh, a white wine. Mm. Whitish. Tastes white. Wow. Like a day. Are you kidding me? So they go to do a wine tasting for three days. They do wine tasting for three days and they're going through the vineyards. They're going through the vineyards and they and I talk to the first vineyard owner. And the first vineyard owner, and these are all people that probably they made their money somewhere else and then they opened a vineyard. The first vineyard owner was the guy who invented the floppy disk made tons of money, opens a vineyard. His wife and him run the vineyard together, been married for 52 years. Like, wow, that's incredible. Floppy disk, 52 years of marriage. Cool. Next place, go to the next place. The guy had invented some sort of product that we all use. I think it was like something crazy. Um, something like as, as obvious as like a post-it note. It wasn't the post-it note, but it's something like that. 
And um, him and his wife have been married for like 40 something years, running a vineyard together. Oh, amazing, right? Like super cool. I want to run a vineyard now. They go to the third place. Go to third place and similar story. Guys, amazing background. Women is an amazing background. Been married for like 35 years and they're tasting the wine. They're tasting the wine. And, and, uh, and he's like, can I try the, the, um, the 2014? And it's like, oh, well, the 2014, no one, I haven't even tasted the 2014. Oh, why is that? Well, because wine takes five years to make minimum to make a good wine. And this has obviously not been five years at that point. Oh, oh okay. Uh, well, can I have the 2013 then? Well, you can, but I mean, it's really, really expensive. Well, why is that 2012 even more expensive? Oh, no, 2012 is fine. You can 2012 all day long. But 2013 is not. Why is the 2013 so expensive? Well, in 2013, the wildfires came through and ravaged the vineyards. Oh, so like supply and demand, like, you know, the, the vineyards got smoked. So like there's not too much supply. No, no, no. The, the wildfires came through and scorched most of all the vineyards. Just not too much was left. And pre proceeding the wildfires, was some of the coldest weather we've ever had. The frost was so intense. We've never seen anything like it in the time that we've owned these vineyards. Wow. So, so why is 2013 so expensive? Because the grapes that survived the wildfires and the frost had to develop such thick skin to survive both of those seasons, that the berry and the juice inside is so potent and so sweet and so complex that when you make wine out of it, it's like nothing you've ever tasted. So the 2013 is extremely special. And that's what makes it so expensive. <clears throat> Person turns to Jurgen. Why do you think all the vineyard owners have such long-lasting relationships? And Jurgen says, because the vineyard owners understand the seasons in life. And if husband and wife are going through a frost season, when most people say, ah, I'm, I'm done with this, they recognize it as a season. See, if, if we go through this together and we make it through, how sweet is that victory going to be? How tight will that relationship be? Take this into business. If you go through your frost season, if you're in your frost season and you sell the vineyard, if you say, ah, I can't do this vineyard thing anymore. What would have happened if the vineyard owners, owners sold the vineyard during the frost? Why would they do that? That's asinine. It's insane. It's absolutely makes no sense. If they put all the effort in 
to get to that point and they have a frost season, they know what's on the other side. The grapes that survive will make the best wine anyone's ever had. Not only will it be the best wine on the planet, but it'll make up for the losses that we sustained. So if you're going through a frost season, if you've been through a frost season, if you have been in a frost season for your entire business, like we were, don't sell the vineyard. Develop the thick skin. Because if you do, the reward is as sweet as a 2013 wine. We haven't made it by any stretch of the imagination. Haven't made it. I don't think we ever will. But there's a lot of progress for us to still make. But I can tell you this, that me seeing Ashley get to wake up, no longer when she wants, but when the baby wants, but to not have to go to a job is very special to me. To spend the first two hours, three hours of the day with Bellamy is very special to me. To then have Ashley and then me go do a workout in the morning or the afternoon or whenever is very special to me. To be out of the active race, we're in the leveraged and passive race, to be out of the active race where every single day we have to do something to earn something is very sweet to me. Again, we have still a long way to go, but that reward is very, very sweet. So stick through the frost seasons. So number one, it's work. Number two, it's forgive yourself. Visualize success daily and stick through the frost. That's how to win. Yeah. Mm-hmm.